August 12th, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Now, about the young women who are not yet married, I, Paul, do not have a command from the Lord for them. But the Lord in His kindness has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain just as you are. If you have a wife, do not end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, I am trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. Now let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So husbands should not let marriage be their major concern. Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Those in frequent contact with the things of the world should make good use of them without becoming attached to them. For this world and all it contains will pass away. In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married, or has never been married, can be more devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit, while the married woman must be concerned about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best, with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he ought to marry his fiancée because he has trouble controlling his passions, and time is passing, it is all right. It is not a sin. Let them marry. But if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there is no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is married to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry whomever she wishes, but this must be a marriage acceptable to the Lord. But in my opinion, it will be better for her if she doesn't marry again, and I think I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. Picture God in heaven, sitting on his throne, with the lightning, the thunder, the fire, the angels. Every one of us is breathing right now because this being in heaven is allowing us to and giving us life. Father, help me right now, just in the next few minutes, to do justice to your word, to bring honor to your name that everyone would leave with a higher view of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. When you're alone, and it's just you, the Holy Spirit, and this book, now hopefully you have times like that, where it's just you and this book and the Holy Spirit. Just think about those times and answer me this. When you're reading the Bible by yourself, 
do you feel peace? Do you open up this book and whatever passage you read, do you seriously feel peace about your life? Because, I don't know about you, but for me, man, ever since I was in high school and I first came to believe in Jesus and I started to read this book for myself, every time I'd get alone, I would read stuff and it'd be so convicting to me. But then I'd go to church and it seemed like church and scripture were like two different things. And it didn't really make sense. I would see the commitment that Christ called us to, and then I would go to church, and it seemed like, no, that's, how come they don't talk about it? But I never said anything. But then a couple years ago, I finally just got tired of this lack of peace I was feeling. Because I would look at what Scripture said, and I would just go, you know what? I, I'm just tired of living like a, a portion of this. I want it all. A lot of this was, was sparked when a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on my door and they, they asked, they go, hey, do you know who we are? And I go, yeah, I know who you are. And they said, what do you think of us? And I told them with total love, I go, listen, I think what you do is terrible. And I mean this in love. Man, you're going around my neighborhood and you're telling people that my creator, my God, that Jesus is just another high angel or he's just another chief prince. And then they stop me. They go, whoa, whoa, wait, we don't say that he's just another archangel. He's the only archangel. He's the only chief prince. And I said, well, then, then turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 10. Turn to, uh, turn to verse, verse 13. And he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, I said, what does that say? Because they believe that Jesus and Michael are the same person. It says, Michael, one of the chief princes. I go, if he's one of the chief princes, that means there's more of them. And the guy goes, I never noticed that. And I go, listen, my point is, there's no way you can look me in the eye and tell me that you read this book for yourself. That you opened up the Bible and you just read it cover to cover before God saying, God, show me the truth of this book. And when you were done, you read it, you put it down, you thought to yourself, I got it. Jesus is Michael the Archangel. I go, there's no way you would come to that conclusion. Someone had to feed that to you. And I go, man, I'm not going to stand here on my doorstep and, and, and try to feed you another theology. I'm just begging you, would you please get alone with this book? Just get alone. Just you, the Holy Spirit, and this book, and just do what it says. And figure out what conclusions you would come to. And these guys looked at me and they go, man, we really learned something today. I go, I hope you did. I go, I hope you really consider doing that for yourself. Because we're talking about eternity. But then after a while I thought, wait a second. Was I fair to them? Because did I ever do that? Did I ever sit down and read this book cover to cover and say, God, you show me what this says? Or was I fed a theology in a Christian church? And what would I come up with if I just read this book? Would I come up with my current theology? Would I come up with the way I do church? Have you ever studied this book for yourself? Think about this. If you were stuck on an island, you just read this book over and over again, you'd never heard of Christianity. You'd never been to a church. And you just read this book. And then you get rescued from that island. And you get so excited because you're going to visit one of these places called church. What would you expect to see when you walked in the doors, according to this book? 
Man, wouldn't you expect this amazing fellowship, this amazing love for one another, supernatural things going on, a caring, a sharing of possessions? Wouldn't you expect to see a bunch of people just focused on a mission, like, man, we're gonna, we got to tell everyone about what we believe. Would you really expect to just see a bunch of people sitting in chairs, watching something on stage, and then heading home? If I just had this book, would I really read this cover to cover? I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but would I really read this cover to cover and put this down, and then when I was done, think to myself, I need to pray and ask Jesus into my heart? Really, you would come up with that? Or would you read the words of Jesus and go, man, I need to, I need to repent. I need to turn from my sins and I really need to follow him. And I need his spirit to come into me. And when his spirit comes into me, he's going to change me completely. Because I don't see anywhere in this Bible where the Holy Spirit came into someone and he didn't even know it. There was something powerful that happened. Wouldn't you put this book down and go, God, Give me this Holy Spirit and have him totally change my life and I'm ready to follow you. Have you ever studied this book for yourself? Would you really come to this conclusion that we could sort of receive Jesus into our hearts but not really follow him? You know, when I was, when I was a kid, we used to play this game called Follow the Leader. Remember that? Leader jumps, you jump. Leader flaps his wings, you flap his wings. Whatever the leader does, you do. But it's weird because in the church we change the rules to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus doesn't mean you actually do what he tells you to do, you just do it in your heart. It's like the kid sitting back on the couch going, no, I'm, I'm hopping in my heart. We played this other game called Simon Says. Remember that? Simon Says, pat your head. You start patting your head. But Jesus says we've changed the rules. Jesus says we play completely different. Jesus says something, you just have to memorize it. Man, you know, in my house, when I tell my daughter to clean her room, she doesn't come back to me a few hours later and go, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, Rachel, clean your room. She knows better than that. She doesn't go, hey, hey, Dad, I can say it in the Greek now. In fact, my friends came over and we had a little study about what it would look like if I cleaned my room. We change everything. I mean, you read the things that Jesus talks about. He says, no, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Because if anyone wants to come after me, he's going to deny himself, pick up his cross, and come after me. Man, I started just looking at the Bible differently and, and going, man, what is the obvious teaching? I'm a very simple person. I'm not like, hey, I found this one verb, you know, in the, in the present indicative, and it means... That's not me. Mine's just like, uh, he said, go and make disciples. And 99% of my church has never made a disciple. That concerns me. That he tells us to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And 99% of them have never baptized anyone. It seems like that's what he's asking us to do. Have you ever studied this book for yourself? Follow this book, don't be afraid of it. This really does lead to life. And if you try to hold on to your American dream and add this to it, you're gonna lose it. You're gonna lose everything. That's what Jesus taught. I hope you leave here and really consider what would you do with your life if you just went by this book. 
Psalm 32, verses 1 through 11, a Psalm of David. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly confess their rebellion to you while there is time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey Him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Proverbs 21 Verses 5 through 7. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Wealth created by lying is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Because the wicked refuse to do what is just, their violence boomerangs and destroys them.